They're bad. They're boys. And occasionally, they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast with your hosts, Jody Rainsford and David Heller. Come back. Baby, come back. Bye, 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 bye. Bye, 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 bye. I must admit I was a clone to be messing around. But that doesn't mean that you have to leave town. Bye, 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 bye. Bye, 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 bye. Hey. How you doing? I'm all right, David Hellard. How are you? I'm very good, Mr. Jody Rainsford. Welcome to Bad Boy Running, the what? podcast all about Jody Rainsford and David Hellard. It's it's not about running. It's not about being bad. It's just about us. It is two right. naughty boys. We don't even pretend it's about the listeners because we, when we started this, we didn't think we'd have any. <laughs> so, and we were right. And we were right. <laughs> Although you, you listening right now, you are proving us wrong. You are the only reason we're, we're still recording for you, right you, because without you, it would just be us. We'd still probably do this. We would. We, we, we probably would. That's it. And if you don't like us and you're listening, what does that say about you? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good question. Now, Jodie, oh. we, we left off the, uh, the last episode on a cliffhanger for me that we then followed up after the episode that I believe we need to introduce to the listener. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. Isle of Wight? <gasps> yes, because I've just been in the Isle of Wight. I have just... I've, so basically, um, we, we've been to the Isle of Wight, and as I was sitting there driving around, listening to some... I was telling Libby, so Libby doesn't like reggae. What? I, I, there's something wrong with her. She doesn't I, like reggae. Like reggae. I, said, I said to her, it is the most joyous of all uh, musical genres. Literally, I think we've already talked about this before, but there is maybe you, you just there's maybe. no anger. There's no anger. It doesn't matter what you're rap. You could be rapping about uh, you know gang. Uh, what's it called? Gang violence, and it would still sound like a yeah. jolly tune you could dance along to with the kids. It doesn't matter. And maybe Libby, her intro to reggae was the German reggae star. Um, I can't remember his name now. The German and, and reggae star. The German reggae star, gentleman. I think it was Max who introduced him to us. In the Maybe she was introduced to reggae through him. And I assume all German music sounds angry. Because, uh... <laughs> possibly, possibly. So this was the interesting. So, um, it, it, and it reminded me, as I was sit there, sitting there driving through the eye, it reminded me, I remember seeing a guy, um, a, uh, a, a self-styled reggae star, singing a song about the Isle of Wight, an anthem about the Isle of Wight. And I looked it up and I found it and then it all came flooding back to me. The, the beauty that is Derek Sandy. Derek Sandy. And the, the name as well, Sandy. Derek Sandy. Um, and yeah, Welcome to the Isle of Wight is his, his signature song. And apparently he's been on like X Factor or Britain's Got Talent or something since, since then. How did you discover him? I discovered, I saw him, I saw him in the Isle of Wight playing and I was oh. sat there, yeah, I was sat there and I'm like, this guy, he's, he's got this reggae song about the Isle of Wight, this is insane. <laughs> and I just, it could, I don't know how it, I, once you listen to it, you might wonder, you know, how could such a thing just empty from your mind? And it was brilliant because it makes it sound, if you didn't have the words Isle of Wight, you'd think he was speaking about some tropical island somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> some beautiful Barbadian paradise he was talking about 
and he's talking about like the land of the free where children run it with abandon and stuff like that. And they're like, what is this wonderful island? And he starts singing, welcome to the Isle of Wight. Oh, what did you think then? I, as soon as that popped into my mind. Well, do you think anyone's gone there and, and thought they've just heard the song and been like, we need to book this. It's only 20 pounds by Cat Moran from Southampton. Uh, why would we miss paradise on our doorstep? It's, uh, do you know what? He is an official island ambassador now. <laughs> <laughs> so do badders, if you get the chance, you're probably out running, but if you get the chance, listen to him. And just, but before you listen, go on YouTube, listen to it. Just imagine what you think it's going to be. And actually, it's just amazing. Amazing reggae. Like a, a genuinely good song. It is. It is a great song. Hugo absolutely loves it, and he wants it played nonstop, much to Libby's horror. He absolutely <laughs> loves it. But I think it, I, I think he's genuinely a brilliant performer. Yeah. Uh, but his, his enthusiasm is- that he brings to it. Because I remember when we watched when I was watching him play before, it was basically a bunch of like people who you know been in caravans and tents off, sitting around uh, drinking Stella, watching this guy throw himself about with such abandon and such happiness. And you're like, whoa, this guy's kind of like on it. He, he must be seeing something very different up on that stage from what, <laughs> from what I'm sat with so what's brilliant hopefully if you listen to it on youtube and you you get distracted by something and it plays the next song then it went into him live and that is hilarious because you listen to it and like oh, this, this this is a really good voice and as you said massive energy and then you look at it and he's at some isle of white country fair and it then pans to the audience who are all white people in their 60s who are just staring at him completely perplexed no one's tapping no one's singing no one's dancing and yet he is he's performing as if he's at Wembley he's performing as if he's at the famous Jamaican stadium oh I tell you it, the, the, sort of the energy that it brings to it I just if he if I, just to find someone to do that I mean like I think he was like a, a garlic farm festival or something like that it was just Amazing. What a legend. Well, when you just think well, about the sort of things that you get on the Isle of Wight, it's going to be like a uh, like a village fete or a garlic farm festival or the opening of a new, um, uh, the naming of a new uh, Isle of Wight ferry or you know, really mundane stuff like that. But amazing, amazing stuff. Well, let's see if we can get a reggae festival on the Isle of Wight. A reggae and running festival. It's yet to be done. Oh, my God. That would be incredible. That reggae be and incredible. running. Yeah. What better combination? We can get Pato over. So it's probably the only way we can get Pato to come to the UK shores. Not that he's reggae, but I'm sure he'd be able to even be willing to dabble for the festival. Absolutely. Now I have got um, I've got some journalism news for you. <laughs> well, go on. So, uh, do bad. If you're not, if you're not, you haven't listened to the podcast before, you'll know that we used to focus quite a lot on real buzz as the most useless. Sorry, I thought you were talking about. I thought you said journalism. Well, well, yes. But this this frustrates me because there's a runner's world piece that just ah. Oh. So runner's, well, runner's world, world is, 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 is seems to have thrown itself in with the real buzz crowd almost they, they seem has. to be produ- I, don't, I don't know whether it's only because i noticed now but we certainly seem to have a lot more runners world articles shared than real buzz articles that people yeah. are disagreeing with but i say most of them are quite most of them are quite good because they're either actually interesting about running or it's 
a sensational story about running. But this is so they they've recently done an article where the headline is according to Strava data to get faster over a marathon you should slow down and run less. <laughs> Perfect. Which is so I mean absolutely amazing clickbait because that's what every runner wants to be told. Told. Yeah. But also every runner instinctively knows that's not true. And that's what's so annoying. Like, you can't help you, you can't help clicking in it. You're like, what? What is this? What is this secret that they're trying to tell? So what is it? What is it saying? Is it just basically repeating the 80-20? Not really. And and this is what this is what annoys me about uh, runners world. You know better than this. You're better than this. Is that in part what they're saying is kind of true or could be true. So um, what they've said is that uh, one of them is that Strava found that marathon marathoners with finishing times under four hours only did 25 percent of their training runs at marathon pace whereas in previous years these runners had done 43 percent of their runs at marathon pace so they've extrapolated that to say that if you run slower you'll run you'll you'll get a, a better marathon time but the reality is actually if you're a runner who's not below four hours, you're um, probably going to be more likely to be a new runner. It takes into a whole load of people that are a walk running. Yeah. And and actually that 43%, if you do a second marathon, most people who do a second marathon probably train substantially better, more yeah. for the second one. So it could be this, this it's completely useful, useless information without more context because that 43% could mean that they're just doing fewer long runs when uh, you know in their first marathon training or which is entirely could... possible i mean that I th- that's a, that's a common thing people constantly talking about the fact that they don't think they've done enough long runs yeah yeah absolutely constantly. that's that's all i think that's like the biggest thing that, pe- that people talk about or, or biggest question they're asked i haven't done enough long runs am i still okay to do my first marathon that's that's kind of like the big question that you get in the weeks running up to a to, to a major marathon yeah and 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 also for something like the marathon that the chances are a lot of people who who conversely don't train um very structured with uh, a structured program you know we we know to go out there and do a tempo run and to do an interval run um that will be faster and then to do all these long and slow but it could be actually that all they're doing is running trying to get the miles in and so their marathon pace that they end up running on the day could be quite slow relative yeah. to to what they're doing and so actually to have yeah if if you're kipchoge to run 40 percent of your runs at marathon pace is very very um, it's a very very high amount but for someone who's walk running then that you're probably doing all of your training at marathon pace or faster and so it's just <laughs> completely useless training and so completely useless information without that content but then it also goes on to say that um that people who set goals and who um who wanted to keep on running the people who actually ran less were more likely to stick with it and so they then extrapolated that to mean that you'll run your marathon faster if you run less i don't know how i don't know how that links in any way so ah oh, uh, it's like it's like it's like the thing they talk about like in free economics isn't it it's uh, it's using data and extrapolating points that 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 um that correlate but aren't uh, causal 
Yeah, but even this one, what doesn't even correlate the, the second <laughs> one? Oh, it's details, just, details. It's just a running article. It doesn't matter. It's not as if people are going to take this into account. No, oh, I don't know. No one well, takes, no one's mm, being sarcastic. I know. Yeah, oh, but well, also in the last also, episode, in the last episode, you admitted that you freely read research papers and stuff like that and change your behavior based on them so if you're doing that there are going to be people that read stuff like this and 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 change yeah. their training on its basis yeah absolutely but i think also it the, the i think there are some things in running where each of us is slightly different but there are some fundamentals that i think most of us are very similar and it just adds to the muddiness and because especially with social media and people wanting to be influencers everyone wants to be an expert and a lot of people aren't experts who are claiming to be experts. So it just adds to this muddiness of anything's true. Anyone can say anything. You can back it all up rather than being like, no, these are the specific things that we know are true and these things are wrong. But but good news of the podcast making a big difference on the world. Go on. We had Holly on, Holly by John, yep. two, three weeks ago, talking about the, how ridiculous Everest is. Yep. Ever since the episode came out, Nepal have announced they're going to change the rules. I tell you what, it's weird, isn't it? How many times have we done an episode? And then, again, I'm going to put this as correlational and causal. Uh, we talk about something and then it happens. I don't know if it means that we're well behind the curve or something, or we just get just to the right point. It makes it seem as though somehow we're right on the ball. So I think we should report this this news in the way that Runners World would. That um, so Bad Boy Running not only was uh, pivotal in the Nepalese, consulted by the Nepalese to um, to change the rules on Everest, but also the Iranian nuclear deal was part of it as well. So I throw something <laughs> random in. See. That's, that's yeah, the kind exactly. of journalism. Yeah. Let's do, we'll have something based slightly on some facts that you can kind of think and then throw something else in that you just go, a source said. Don't matter. Yeah, a, Don't matter. a source. A source close to um, the duo. Close to the duo. Anyway, how are you, mate? How are things? Good. Good, thank you. I've um, I've done something pretty crazy. Ooh. Call, me, call me crazy. Call me crazy. Crazy, um, Jody. I've uh, I bought a Garmin. What did you have? You had an Apple before, didn't you? No, 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 no. I had a Sunto. It, and it was a... And, uh, so basically, classic, classic uh, ex-journalist um, uh, thing. You know, I've been, I've been running on um, uh, Freebies, X-Review stuff for, mm. for a while now. And it's, like I said, it's got to that point now with the shoes that I'm actually going to have to buy some shoes. My, my stash has run out. Um, Recycle, I, I, recycling shoes? Uh, well, yeah, I could get yeah, I could, I could probably recycle them or something like that. Or to be fair, I do wear them till I. This whole thing about you know, stop wearing them when you start feeling the ground underneath them and stuff like that. They're pretty much barefoot shoes. Most of the shoes I've got now, I, I will I will absolutely cane them till they're falling off my feet. Yeah, same, same. Maybe um, why I've got such issues. With my <laughs> yeah, wait a minute, why are, why are we always injured? Uh, um, but it's the same with like with textile. I always. Uh, I've been using, I had like polar watches that I'd done reviews for. I'd had this Sunto, I had all these other things. And, and I'd never, I, 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 do you know what? I didn't realize this until I bought the Garmin. Yeah. Um, that I did have a Garmin before, but it, it wasn't, it, it was an X review, X review one that someone had given to me. And I, re, I realized why they gave given it to me because it was rubbish. It was one where it had that, 
I can't remember what it was called. It had a bezel that um, was a touch. Oh, bezel, you had to like oh. go around the edge of oh, it. Oh, it was uh... fucking terrible. It was awful. Oh, yeah. But I didn't. Yeah. But this is the interesting. Thing. So I bought this. It's a Forerunner two three five. Um, and I logged into Garmin Connect, which I, I thought I didn't realize I had an account, and I completely forgot yeah. that I had that review Garmin as well. And <laughs> it, I'd obviously worn it. I'd brought up all like a load of my old runs that I'd done. Like things like um, uh, like some of the some of the ones on the Transalpine, um, the time that I uh, what's it called the Around the Island race, uh, all these other ones that I'd done with all the all the times on and stuff. And I was like, oh, that's great. Obviously, um, the person that had the uh, the the review thing before me was much much faster runner because there was a bunch <laughs> of them on that one. So, Whoa! Look, I was doing like, oh no, that's not. I've never I've never been to that place or whatever. Um, so that's uh, that that sort of um, pulled the uh, pulled the average down but um, but yeah so I've got a Garmin now and um, I've never I've never really had I never reviewed a, 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 like a Garmin properly yeah um, when I when I had the chance and so I've never I've never really worn one or used one um, in in the current form and so I always thought you yeah, know people just bang on about Garmin's all the time don't they it's just like they fucking hell I've had this thing for like 48 hours and I can't take the bloody thing off the amount of data that it's feeding back to me I've connected everything up to it and I'm now like making sure it, it it's kind of insane like I feel well, like I, it, I feel like I've come reading? to this I feel like I've come to this really really late and I feel like like that that someone should have told me earlier about all this the, the main reason I've done this is because the um the Suntos not working as effectively as it should yeah and uh and it takes ages it just everything on it is just really um it, the thing about the Garmin is that it's really easy to use yeah. Really, really simple to, really intuitive. And the thing is with the Sunto that I've got isn't, um, and it just is just a massive pain in the ass. And this is just, and this actually feels nice to wear. And so, like, yeah. So I'm, I basically got this because uh, trying to get that inf- all the information. So the information is not updating as well properly on uh, the Moves Count app as well. Yeah. Um, and so I've got this. I thought, okay, I'll just bite the bullet and get it, and um, so that uh, Callum can get some proper. Um, recently, but now now I'm monitoring my sleep. I'm monitoring. So does, it, the does it auto dob you in? It does auto dob me in. Yeah, there's no there's no escaping. He knows what I'm doing. Like solid. He you knows my heart rate. Someone nearly cut me up today, and then I, I literally ten minutes later I went back to check what my heart rate was during the. Uh... <laughs> like a runner almost cut you up, <laughs> yeah. and that was no. enough. Of a... <laughs> yeah. You were so surprised that someone overtook you. That... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was it. But no, no, it's been great. Oh my god, this thing! I don't know. Oh, is, that what, is that what? Is that what you, you become? You become like that. I'm don't joining you. you. Oh, are you? But so I, I was a, a Santo fan for many years, and I, I quite liked the brick brickishness of it. But now I've gone with the power, with the polar power. Oh, have you? And yeah, I'm with you. That small, sleek watches. I'm amazing. Yeah, the other one was huge. I think it was like over-engineered. There was just too much stuff on it. Whereas this, th- there's a lot of stuff on it, but actually, it's just it has exactly what I want, um, and it doesn't run out of power after about three hours as well, which makes a massive difference. Yeah. Um, but I, I tell you one thing though: I was, I was talking to Briggsy, and we all think that you know we were all quite excited about our new watches, but there's some technology that has gone backwards. Her watch used to be able to change the TV. <laughs> Did it? 
Yeah, I mean, that's pretty badass, right? That is pretty bad. Wait, was it supposed to change the TV or was that just, <laughs> was that just one of those things? Oh, wait, these the, radio frequencies have all got buggered. Yeah, the guy with the pacemaker, he was screwed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I remember seeing that watch when I was younger where and she'd sit in class or be and she could just do whatever you wanted. I mean, that is something they've got to bring back in. Am I right, Briggsy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you monitoring now? So right now I'm monitoring. So I've, so this is, I mean, I don't know why. My heart, what are you doing day to day? What are you, what are you using that you think is going to be useful to you in your training that you haven't been doing until now? Well, actually remember. So, so the other thing was, so the other one, the other watch was so chunky. I was just like, I'm not, gonna, I, I don't wear a watch normally. I don't mm. wear anything on my wrist. I don't really like jewelry or anything. Yeah. Same. So I don't really, I wouldn't really wear it. So I just forget to take it out on a run, which it, it seems it's a bit stupid, like mm. for for people that go out running. But I just I, I would completely forget it um, and just go out. But this um, this is really different. I mean, I just I, I, I'm just using it to go out. So basically, things like um, so what is there? What have I got on here? I've got I'm monitoring the amount of. So for me, monitoring calories is really important, and actually being able to see it and see the amount of uh, water I drink as well. Um, and being able how to does do it? That. How does it know that? So no, it's, so it's so it's because it's connected to um... to your penis. No, <laughs> <laughs> that's clever. I mean, I don't know. Just, I don't know. If I've got watch, a whopper right? uh, the, the extension for the strap, unfortunately. So I can't. Yeah, not yet. <laughs> Have you got no, a lick no. it to put it on, sir? <laughs> Slightly. So anyway, sorry. What, apologies. Like, what? Um, I can't remember the name of anything. I'm such a. My fitness pal. I've got it connected to my fitness pal, and so it all connects. It everything's been connected up really well. Um, yeah. I I haven't connected it to Strava yet. Um, I don't. What's the point of connecting it to Strava? Why Why would you oh, want to do that? Is that just because? because it's a, is that a social thing? Do I really want to do that? Um, I mean, it is social, but I I don't use it socially really. I, I mean, well, I, I use it socially. You use it, you use it for bloody comment. marketing. That's what you use it for. <laughs> <laughs> but, indeed, but also, I mean, I love it because you can. It's it, Strava is just really good for seeing routes locally to you, segments. It's good for um, exploring new places. But also, even today, I was out with Peter Miller, and we were on their usual route, and they're like, right, here comes the segment. Yeah, for the next one kilometer, we're doing three hills. And uh, yeah, we're like, let's boss it. So it's if you're bored or you want to do a, if if you want a session but you you can't really motivate yourself, something like that, and just going out, okay. taking down Ross Ross Stubbs uh, segments, that's the way to do it. Oh, okay, that, okay, that'll motivate, see. Yeah. Right, maybe maybe I'll connect to Strava then and uh, and do that. But yeah, just just being able to see how active I am during the day makes a massive difference. I didn't really think of it for that. I thought of it more of a just it's going to be there to basically um, manage. Uh, pace that's really what i what i wanted it for and it the, the pace feedback is much better than it was on the on the other one as well um when i've been running uh, what, do you, what do you mean feedback well I'd be, yeah yeah it to you yeah it's just how it reports it to me like with the other one i'd be running I'm like there's no way i'm going that fast uh mm. and it would, it would it would be all over the place and you wouldn't be able to kind of judge it whereas it seems to be much much better on the Garmin. Um, I don't know whether that's because of GPS signal or it could be a, a myriad of factors. I, but just so far, I've been like really, this has been really good, and I feel and, and, I feel like I should have invested in this like two years ago. And actually, what you're saying, I think it's completely true because I I absolutely love this Polar as well. And the big difference is 
because it is just a nice feeling strap and it's a sleek watch i am sleeping with it at night i'm using it through the day and when we do as you haven't listened to the episode where we do talk about training to power with nick um nicking now what's nick's nick anderson um and he was gb coach for um the marathon and and also a, a polar uh, coach he was saying that what's really useful about wearing a watch in the morning is being able to just see what your pulse rate is when you wake up because it's a really good indicator of whether if you're tired but also if you're if you're stressed if your body's through stress so say you've had quite a hard session and picked up you're more tired than you realize it's a good way to actually be able to equate that um but yeah because I'm, I'm thinking because i like i like that element of it but also because I've, you know, this stupid bloody injury and hopefully I'm going to shake it off at some point and be able to start training hard and coming back. It's so depressing when you're racing, when you're running or trying to pace to times that you you just don't want to be running to and you're finding it hard. And so I figure actually I might as well use that as an opportunity to start to understand power. And that way, when I'm going out for a session, I'm training to something where the numbers don't mean as much to me, so I don't get as depressed about how slow I am. Uh, and it will give me a, a really good opportunity to kind of almost start with a blank canvas and understand it all. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, it's a good time. The thing is, it, it, there is there is good opportunities to use injury for different things. Like, it, you know, mm. for someone like me, when, I, when I've been injured, it's a good opportunity to, to, like, lose weight or build strength or do something else that just takes your mind off off the running element um how is your injury by the way i think we. i mean i've never been stronger and what was the other thing you said and and, and lighter uh, <laughs> oh man it's just it's it's the same nothing's changing it but I, I think the worst thing i find with it is it's that element of i'm not i'm not confident in what i'm doing i'm not sure anything's going to change when I'm doing my exercises I don't think yeah great let's do these it's going to help because nothing's working and so you're like oh I guess I've got to do these half hour exercises it's, yeah it's weird isn't it because when you when you get over the injury and you look back and it's really easy to go well you know I had like 20 sessions of, of whatever treatment it was and I got rid of it and of course it was worth it but when you're going through those sessions you don't know they're going to work there's, not, there's yeah. nothing. It's, it's so it's so easy to say out of fact. Like I did when I did um, when I had like this this hip injury, which event, mm. eventually turned out to be like um, a problem with my lats and everything. I was thinking I was trying to work out how much money I actually spent on getting that fixed, and I think I spent something like eight hundred pounds. In, wow! In, in it, and if you'd have said to me, okay, you can get back running and it'll cost eight hundred pounds, you'd be like, all right, that is a lot of money. But if you can guarantee yeah. it that you definitely think about it but when you're going through it when you're say 600 pounds in and the, yeah. and and it, yeah and I'm, I'm kind of kind of glad I wasn't really paying attention when I when that was yeah. happening because you don't because you think well I you know I just I, I, this injury is not going to go away by itself I need to do something but when you really should, people, it should be on a, a reducing scale per visit shouldn't it <laughs> It I should start off as like the two hundred pounds the first session, and by the end they should start paying you. <laughs> they haven't done it if they haven't fixed it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
And that way, everyone's motivated. Everyone's motivated to get it done, aren't they? Although That's you're it. not going to do any exercises. You're just going to retire. And, uh, and you're like, oh, yes, yeah, I did those exercises. Sure, sure. £1,500 this week. It is a, it is, it, the thing is, it's a, difficult, it's a difficult one, isn't it, being like a physio or something like that? Because essentially, mm-hmm. you're, I mean, this, this is very cynical, but it, it, it's kind of true. Your income is dependent on that person being injured. And so I, I know, you know, the majority of people will want to get you better and get you out but fundamentally your business model relies on people and especially people who were injured before getting injured again mm. and so it it's a really it's a really difficult one because you how do you, you it's very difficult to um do a fixed fee on it because everything on so, so people are so different and there's so many variables that they can't control Mm. Unless, of course, they said, yeah, we could, I don't know, I don't I, no, I wouldn't know any like physio or therapist or, or anything who would do anything on a fixed fee. And you're relying on them to actually do the exercises, but also you're relying on them telling the truth, actually being able to feedback information accurately, which they might, you know, people can be just, when she's, often when she's asking me questions, I don't know the answer. I'm like, I don't know. And whereas there is that, you feel like you should answer something and sometimes you can't quite remember what the issue was at a certain time and you might might say the wrong thing you might misrepresent what's happening yeah that's it and that's it and well that's 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 what most that's the what most diagnosis uh, suffers from isn't it is mm. is the fact that it, the information that you're getting the data you're getting from the patient is inaccurate what what they feel and what's actually happening are two different things and so there's only um you know a certain amount that you know so it's like you have to be like house don't you you just don't need to don't need mm. the patients just base everything based on the, on the data but isn't that isn't that like going to be the future of like it's funny we're talking about garmin and stuff like that um and the amount of like data you can feed back but that that essentially is going to be the future of all this kind of treatment is to be completely personalized nanobots inside you that are going to provide that kind of feedback but I don't know if they will, because actually something like a nanobot is, is incredibly useful because it can analyze chemicals within the bloodstream. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they can monitor in real time how different muscle groups are working together and what's firing and what's not. And so maybe that is a different type of technology I'm not aware of. But that is that's the issue is like what's firing, what isn't, how much um of the work is is one muscle doing versus another and i don't know if if we're moving towards a way in which we can monitor all of that effectively what do you, what, do you, what, are, what are sort of like uh elite athletes doing they can't have this issue i mean they, the thing is they the fact is they i mean they're monitored all the time aren't they that's the that's that's the the real value in it is the fact mm. that when they're doing their stretches, when they're doing that, the the physio or the the, the ther- sports therapist or whatever is actually there with them watching them do it. So there's never yeah. And then they and, and they can they can fix all the variables. Well, they can f- fix everything, aren't they? There aren't any. Um, yeah, and they're monitoring their running form, running so they form, can probably tell food, from that. Weights. They're looking at their weights and like how what they're lifting, but also think even things like a sports massage. If you get a good sports massage, they'll be able to tell you about imbalances they'll be able to tell you about if something's weakening or if something's um not engaging enough because those knots are all symptoms of some imbalance in 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 how you run yeah so that's the thing isn't it i think a lot of uh, physiotype stuff is that only only after a few treatments Mm. and them sort of getting to know like your your structure and your muscles and stuff like that can they really start making 
um, valuable assertions as to what might it's all hypothesis isn't it it's all hypothesis and they're just testing a bunch yeah. of hypotheses as they're as they're doing it which well i say that that's from my personal experience yeah yeah absolutely but the, the, i mean the, what i find the frustrating thing is it's quite hard to to train hard when just in general i mean it can be quite you've really got to be motivated it's why we sign up to these big events it's and you know it can still be quite hard to motivate motivate yourself to go out and do a hard session but at least in those circumstances you know why you're doing it and you know at the end of that you're going to be rewarded in the future um and that's the trouble when you're like in the situation i'm in the moment every session i know it's going to be a shit session i know i'm not going to run very fast but also there's a part of me that thinks, is this a good idea to be doing this or should I just rest? And so then it's very hard to actually motivate yourself to do things, but also get the balance right where, you know, I, I come back from some runs just thoroughly depressed because you're like, oh, I've got even slower and my leg now hurts. And like, so I've not, I've just not, nothing's, I'm not, I don't see progress in any, like if I was getting slower, but I could feel myself getting stronger or yeah. actually I was running a bit further before it hurt or that, but it's, it's when there's no progress in any direction and, and then you're like, well, what should you, and if there's no, there's no definitive right answer that going for a run is the right course of action either. And so, ah, uh, okay. All right. No. Okay. So we, we've talked about what your training has been before for, for the purposes of me understanding and for the listener understanding exactly what you're injured what are you what is your training week so far at, at the moment then even with you being injured right as well i was trying to show the physio of this actually because i don't think she so and it, it is very hit and miss because i just grab without a proper structured training plan i just grab miles i can or it's to do with running work so for example last last week would have been i've just finished a week haven't i last week was uh 35 miles and that was, I guess, six days a week, but probably, yeah, the, the equivalent of a 5k tempo run, a few intervals by myself, which are kind of useless. And then, at the slow, yeah, I've, I've been 30, 35 miles each week, but there's just no quality there. Right. Um, and that's coming down from, well, I've been trundling on that. And so, yeah, maybe it is a lot. And maybe I shouldn't be doing all of that, but part of it's for my insanity. Part of it's to get to work. A part of it's because you just don't want to lose speed and like, ah. Oh, so is um, that? So is that? Is the is the concern that you have around the fact that you, should you really be doing the intense the intensity that you're doing, or should, just any of it really? But I'm I'm in a position now where some of the exercise I have to do is like do this unless you're getting pain. Like do it to the point that you get pain. And so that's how I know that I'm using, I'm engaging a muscle without using the muscle that is, is, um, is inflamed. Yeah. But if I'm not training and if it's not inflamed, I can't tell if I'm using the right muscle because it's too subtle. So in a way I need to be injured to actually work on it. But when I'm injured, it's not helping it. <laughs> and it, and it, I need to be engaged. I need to be engaging a new one muscle and strengthening the injured muscle but you can't strengthen it when it's inflamed because that just inflames no. it more but i can't i'm not i don't i can't get it right i can't f 
get it i can't figure it out how to engage the other muscle unless it is in frames so i can have a clear difference in it's not hurting it's not hurting it's hurting so i'm kind of trapped in this place where yeah whatever i do is the wrong thing it seems but uh anyway anyway brought us too too long of more injury chat as ever no no i think that's i think it's interesting for people because if other people are injured other people are injured injured um i if i'm injured i would just Mm. stop running that's it i I wouldn't try and i wouldn't try and go out and running i'd try and stop stop running and i think a lot of people would wouldn't know you know what what's the thing to do when you're injured is it a case of because especially if you've got something like a a lower back injury or something Mm. like that you know, with, with certain injuries, the, the advice is to carry on actually moving yeah. and carry on doing what you're supposed to do. So I yeah. suppose it depends on the type of injury. Um, if it's a lower limb injury, probably not carry on, uh, depending on the severity of it and, and how acute it is. And so yeah. I think it's really, I, I, I think it's interesting because there's all there's you know, I think a big proportion of the audience is going to be injured. And yeah, exactly. All you know, what, at some yeah, point. yeah. And so, what, what, what do we do when we're injured? What is the, what is the best thing to do? Should, should I run when mm. I'm injured? And I suppose then that depends on, on, on the type of injury. But it's interesting. You still, you still have that, like, um, you have some like intensity and stuff like that because you're concerned about losing speed. And but I, I always base it on is it acute pain? And it's never acute pain until it gets to a point where you're like, oh, now it's becoming like painful enough that. I can feel with every step I'm doing damage as opposed to just uh, an ache. Yeah. But, um, but I I found a bit, bit of other news. Someone died this week who was one of the original marathon cheats, which I had never heard about. And this, this would be – have you ever heard of Rosie Ruiz? No. So, American listeners, let us know if you have. Like, how well known is she? Um because she cheated in the 1980 Boston Marathon and won it. Oh, did she? It. Yeah. And it was it was interesting, firstly, because I didn't, hadn't heard of it, and I wasn't sure whether that's just because I'm not American. But also, there there seems to be, at the moment, the, uh, the, the American community, they love stories of running cheats. And I was, I was wondering, I've got kind of a high, hypothesis, okay. that maybe... Because this was such a high-profile cheating situation in a marathon at Boston, that maybe that's created this psyche of people towards cheating at Boston, and that's where Derek, the marathon investigators, come from. That's where all the vitriol, like the absolute fury at people who qualify when they shouldn't. Maybe it's based. Oh, there's a consciousness around it that we don't understand because we're not American and we don't have this. Yeah, this, this background to it. I see. I like. Yeah. I liked your unified theory of cheating in America. I like that. <laughs> let's see, that, let's but, test. Let's test that. See whether that's true with our American listeners. Yeah, do that. Is is this? Does everyone know who Rosie Ruiz is, is? Does it? And and the article. See, this is this is a Runners World article. Really good Runners World article. Thank you, Runners World. More like this. Um, and they were they were saying how in some parts of I think Boston or in, in some things there is such a phrase as doing a rosy ruiz uh, or doing a rosy is still runner's slang for cheating by cutting the course which you never know when you know if you're not involved in it how true that is like how common that is as a phrase but really interesting article and she the, what's great about it so she essentially cut the course and uh, jumped in with not long to go 
and uh, crossed the line with no recognition of her of her time. Oh no, she crossed the line in two thirty four, I think, and the winner came in two thirty five. They then, she's never admitted to cheating, even though it sounds like it was commonly accepted by everyone and she's you know, never lived it down. But there's this brilliant interview where after, after the race, and she looks pretty um, fresh, but after the race, there's a, a former runner who's interviewing her who then is like, oh, you know, where have you come from? Trying to all the questions you'd expect. And she's like, and what was your previous time? Or how did you improve your time that much? Have you have you been doing lots of interval trainings? And her answer is main. She's like, oh, no, what are intervals? Oh, no, I've just been. And it was it's so obvious that the person interviewing her knows that she's a cheat. But no one really knows what to do because it hadn't been. They didn't. I don't think they had timing mats in the same way, but they also weren't used used to having to to deal with cheats and confronting it. Um, but yeah, amazing, amazing story that this potentially is, is has created the culture of, of American cheats or the, the view towards American cheats. Um, That's really the thing but, is what's really interesting is I've just looked online for this uh, this this Rosie Ruiz thing, and mm. it, even this thing, even this thing I'm here like is her online obituary another hoax. Is she actually dead? Like this, even in death, they think she's still cheating. Yeah, and <laughs> but, like, but I that's guess... interesting. It must, it must be a bit. It must be quite a big thing then. Yeah, and and especially as you know, I, I, I do think Americans are, are far more into their conspiracy theory than than the Brits. Um, I think we just trust our, our the state a lot more than than Americans tend to. Um, but yeah, it's do best. Let us know what you think. Like, is is this something that everyone knows about? Is it something that every marath, every Boston marathon, they always refer to it? Or uh, did this change how things were officiated? Um, what was the fallout? Because it, it says a little bit of it in the in the in the article, but but not. It doesn't really bring you up to speed because I assume that most people know about it or. Um, there's a lot of information that doesn't need to be said. So, uh, yeah, but amazing that she must have been one of the first women to win. I mean, when did women start running in, it must in have, Boston? Yeah, it must have only been a couple of years um, yeah. after when they were first let in. So I imagine, I'm, I think that probably must really, really great as well. If you've been fighting mm-hmm. to get, uh, to, for women to be running that, and then, then that happens. It, it's just one of those things that, it must be just galling to, yeah. to, to see happen that you know, that kind of abuse of it. But yeah, you know, but but had a, a, a man not cheated in in Boston before that? Is that I, the I first don't know. cheat in Boston, or is it just highlighted because she she came first and she was female? Well, I'd I'd imagine actually that it would be far harder for a male to cheat because they're the first person through, and. I, the coverage will be of oh, the yeah. very first person, and so it's probably now and impossible. Where you, there's no way that the, the the bike at the front could miss it. Whereas, I, I I'd be interested to also know how many women were running in in 1980 marathon. You know, we're we talking loads, or because it is a little bit more understandable that a woman could run without being picked up by the commentators. Yeah, um, and so. 
maybe that's what enabled it. But as you say, yeah, it, it must have been incredibly annoying when women were, were still trying to, to gain credibility in the marathon that things like this happen um, and, and would reflect on, on on women's running in some people's eyes. Um, yeah, that's it. I mean, it, it, it doesn't matter whether it's a female or a male, right? But the fact is that the very people that they needed to get the change from would have seen this as an opportunity to... to use it against them but apparently she also skipped the course in her first ever marathon which is new york um and that was the qualifying time for her to get into boston her employers were so excited that she'd qualified they paid for her to then to go to boston right and she she later was um banned from new york retrospectively but never from boston interestingly enough oh really yeah 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 so um and and maybe there are stories like this you know in in lots of other marathons around the world we're just not aware of um i love i love the idea that you do something um uh, so heinous that your name is used throughout it if you're doing a rosier what 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 would doing a hellard be Oh, I mean, Brigitte's oh, bring, a lucky woman. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> that could be used woman. in that could be used in so many contexts. <laughs> and I mean, is this thing Rob Young? Nah, is his name almost. Uh, well, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, it is kind of becoming associated with that. Kind of being yeah. associated with well, <laughs> by our group mainly trying by our group mainly, yeah. Um, but you know, yeah, it, 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 that kind of that's the thing that happens, isn't it? Um, it, it, it when it becomes like common common parlance. Mm. And, and it's, I mean, it'd be interesting if this actually is a phrase that's common parlance in American culture and not just running culture, because that would, I mean, that really would have to be a big story to get to that level of, of uh, awareness. So, uh, but yeah, one of the original cheats. So, I mean, in a way, fair play for the, uh, for having the creativity to come up with the idea. <laughs> yeah, we should be celebrating innovators, innovators and uh, pioneers, uh, regardless of which side of the uh, the fence that they sit on. And to be fair, for her first two races, she PB'd or DNF'd, and she never run a, she, in every marathon. She PB PB'd or DNF, which is pretty impressive. That is pretty impressive. Ballsy. Yeah, I like the ballsiness of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well. Shall we? Shall we somehow crack on to our to our guest? <laughs> yes, tell us about our guest. So our next guest is uh, very interesting in how they relate to running. In what way? Um, I mean, they've done things that have um, been significant, but also a little bit fruity. Take it away, Nick. <laughs> So, Duvalis, we've got an absolute treat for you tonight. We've been wanting to get Greg on for probably probably about a year and a half, or probably since the first time we ever mentioned Eddie Izzard. If you don't know um, Greg's background, well, most people know him from seeing him on Sport Relief, seeing him on Colin Relief, as the person who has to somehow get the uh, the flabby shell of a celebrity to the end of an epic challenge. Um, <laughs> but prior to that, he was incredibly good uh, himself at the pentathlon, modern pentathlon, in fact, uh, represented us in the Olympics. So to talk about all of that, we've got on the episode tonight, um, Greg White. Well, great to be here, lads. Absolutely fantastic. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> 
Oh, my pleasure, my pleasure. I mean, let's. Oh, we can't, we can't not talk about your um, your achievements before we go on to essentially the lesser achievements that every other person. <laughs> <laughs> you've it's always, dealt with. It's always a good place to start, isn't it? When you're, whenever you're working with someone, whatever you do will never be as good as what I do. <laughs> well, if you start on the top, there's only one way to go, though, isn't there? So I'm always a bit careful about that. Do you, do you wear your medal underneath your top during the challenges, just in case they question you? You're like, look at it, look at check it. it, check it out. No, no is the answer to that. <laughs> People often ask me, say, say to me, and it's one of those classic questions. You know, where are your medals? And they are. I think my little boy, who's eight, I think he's got some in, in one of his boxes that he plays with on occasions, and, and there's some stuffed in the back of a drawer somewhere. I, you know, I don't even know where they are. But uh, I'm very proud of them, but you just don't... It's not something you take out on a daily basis and rub. <laughs> well, I mean, if someone gave... Well, if, if I ever got an Olympic medal, which would mainly be through theft, I imagine, I, I probably would rub it every day. But um, that's, that's the difference between me and you. But, um, yeah, so... How how does one get into the modern pentathlon? Gosh, you know, it's, it's a weird one. I mean, I was born and brought up in Luton, which is not the heartland of modern That's pentathlon. Classic, classic pentathletes <laughs> territory. Though. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's, it's <laughs> absolutely the breeding ground of all pentathletes. Um, it, I mean, it was it was a weird thing, really. So I was a swimmer by trade at the beginning. Um and then in, nine, I mean, the, the story goes, in 1976, Great Britain um, won Olympic gold medal at the 76 Olympics, which was an, an incredible achievement. But, but more importantly, it was actually a time when uh, Jim Fox, the captain at the time, caught Boris Onoshenko from Russia cheating uh, in the fencing. And it was the height of the Cold War. It was, it was a massive deal. Uh, Onoshenko and the entire Russian team got ejected from the Olympic Games and Great Britain went on to win. So it was quite, it's amazing. I mean, it's an iconic, iconic episode in Olympic history. How was he cheating? He had. So with fencing, what happens is is effectively you've got an incomplete circuit. Uh, And I'm an epee fencer. I was an epee fencer. And at the end of the the, the tip of of the blade, you depress it and by depressing it what you do is you complete the circuit that circuit then causes a light to light up at the side of the piece you win the hit um what he had was he had a button inside his guard which is the thing that comes around the hand Uh, and what he would do is get close to the opposing athlete and then press the button uh jim fox sussed it um, and uh, a, a, a classic, I don't know if you remember the 88 Olympics when the boxer sat down in the ring and refused to get out because of the judging. Yeah. It, it was a similar, similar scenario, but it, it was 12 years earlier in Montreal and Jim Fox oh. refused to get off. It was a massive stink about it. And eventually they, they looked at his weapon, found that he was cheating, out he went, Great Britain went on to win the Olympic Games. And so at the time, around that time, sort of 76 into 80 and maybe a, a bit beyond, pentathlon had quite a high profile, relatively high profile. Uh, and so a, a, as a swimmer, I got to the age of about sort of 12, 13, 14, all my mates left, um, as classically swimmers do. And I was looking for something else and pentathlon came up and it was, it was thanks to my dad uh, that I got the opportunity to, to have a crack at it. And luckily I was good at it. So that, that helped. <laughs> but do you, does, do you just turn up to pentathlon school and they're like, right, do that, do that, do that. Or do you, do people tend to try one of the events? Cause 800 meters, I mean, you know, you can do that or not, but then suddenly you've got to do a horse 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, I mean, if you sort of migrate into it, and you've got you've got individual events, obviously, then you've got a, 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 what's called a modern biathlon, which is a run swim. Um, then, then you've got the modern triathlon, which is a run swim shoot. And then it's a tetrathlon run swim shoot fence. And then you you tack on the show jumping at the end, and you've got modern pentathlon. Um, and so, what, what you tend to do, I, I started off in in biathlon and triathlon, migrated into uh, uh, into tetrathlon and then at the age of about sort of 17 uh migrated into modern pentathlon and and was lucky enough to make the the national junior squads and then my first world junior championships at 19 uh which was which was an eye-opener <laughs> but yeah so it was it was it was an interesting sort of process to get into full modern pentathlon but it was a, it was a great sport and i had just a fantastic career a truly fantastic career and and in t- and how do you because even triathletes, you know, if you look at someone like an Ironman, you can already train twice a day, every day as an Ironman. Um, yeah. So that, with with five sports, I mean, do you, are you constantly training essentially or like how do you actually yeah. balance it? I mean, it, it's lunacy really. I mean, if you think about <laughs> the multidisciplinary sports, uh, you know, and I guess it's why I, I, you know, I do triathlons now. It's, it's, I mean, I do love it, but it is incredibly time consuming and so at the, at the peak of my training for modern pentathlon i was on around about 40 hours a week four zero hours a week of training uh somewhere in the region about 17 to 19 sessions a week uh just just to get the variety and the, the different events in uh plus plus the sort of the the base conditioning stuff and the injury prevention work and all that sort of stuff so i mean it was it was it, it, you, could, you could only do it i mean i i did it as a student i i I studied for an undergraduate. I then did a postgrad, and then did a PhD. And I think, in part, I did that because it, it, allow, it allowed me the time in order to actually squeeze everything in. But it, I'm incredibly time-consuming. And do you do you have any kind of regrets from those days you look back on? Did you did you leave the sport fully fulfilled? And and, and how did that, that career end? You know, I, do you know what? I, I I look on it incredibly fondly. It was a, it was an amazing career. I was incredibly lucky. Uh, but I, I worked incredibly hard. I, I competed with some incredible people. It was, you know, it was a time when when doping was rife in sport. I mean, mm. that's not that's not to say that it's absent now, but it was absolutely rife in sport. Um, and 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 you know, and, and I think you can always sort of look back and be a little bit, you know, a little bit melancholy about the fact of those people that may have been you at the time. But for me, I, I you know, I, I won the medals that I wanted to win. Um, I was in an incredibly you know, we, we call them minor sports, but I think it's minor in television media coverage. Um, but but it was just a fantastic career, and I, I I loved every minute of it. And I got to go to places and meet people that I would otherwise never have got to. So it was fantastic. And how how did you then make this leap from being a sportsman yourself to comic relief? <laughs> it's a weird one, isn't it? I mean, I, I, so as I said, during my career, I, I, I carried on studying. So I did an undergrad in London. I then went out to the US and did a postgrad, uh, a master's degree in human performance with an intern in cardiology. Came back to St. George's Hospital Medical School and did a PhD in cardiovascular physiology, cardiovascular function, and health and disease. I won't bore you with this. Uh, <laughs> um, but and, and then at, at the end of my career, uh, athletic career, sort of coincided with my, the end of my PhD studies, um, I was offered the job of director of research for the British Olympic Medical Centre. Um, 
I then did that for four years. I then went on to set up the English Institute of Sport as their director of science. Um, and it was actually what, whilst I was at the English Institute of Sport, I got a call one day from a guy who's now a very close friend of mine, Kevin Cahill, who was the former CEO of Comic Relief. I, I call him the billion pound man because <laughs> incredibly he raised a billion pounds in his tenure as CEO of Comic Relief. Uh, and he, he called me up one day and he said, uh, he said, you don't know me, but I've been talking to one of your friends, which was Crammy, uh, Steve Cram, yeah. who was on who was on the Comet Relief board at the time. And he said, we've got a, we've got a comedian who wants to swim the English Channel. Uh, and Crammy tells me that you're the man to speak to. Are, are you up for it? So so I have this penchant saying yes. And I said, yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, yeah I'd love to do it. And then three days later, David Williams walks through the door, and I thought, "Do you know what I should have asked? But it was weird, you know. And that was 2005, and then since 2005, I've now uh, worked every year. Um, I mean, I say work; I, I, I do it all for free, but um, but it is work because a huge amount of time that's required for it. Um, but I've now looked after 32 challenges. Um, all of which I'm touching wood as I speak have been successful. Um, and we've now raised in excess of 40 million pounds uh, for people much less fortunate than ourselves as part of that process. So it's been, it's been incredible, the whole journey. I mean, that's the crazy thing about it is that, you know, there are very few people that could do 32 races even and not <laughs> pick up a niggle or, you know, for something to go wrong. So, what, why do you think, how have people survived? I, uh, you know, I, I mean, the bottom line is, I think it comes, you know, this is without blowing my own trumpet. <laughs> I think fundamentally it actually comes down to the quality of programming. You know, what, what I do is I'm, I'm cr- critically mindful of the fact that what I am doing is taking people who are incongruous to these challenges. I mean, Ed is an example, but you've got Davina McCall and David Williams and John mm. Bishop. I mean, the list goes on of people who, who you would never expect to be doing these sort of things. And I think that, that it's one of those things I think a lot of athletes forget is that there is a balance between that you have to strike between performance and health. And, and critically, what you are trying to do is stay injury and illness free so that you can optimize the training impulse. And, and, and as you know, anybody that's been injured or is, is sick during training will know that, that when you're sick or injured, you just lose everything in terms of training mm. impulse uh, and not only that because of uh, because of the reversibility of training adaptation you don't only lose it and stop still you actually lose it and move backwards so uh, one of the things that i really focus on is actually staying healthy injury and illness free throughout training to, in order to optimize that training impulse so i can get them to the start line in, in the best possible condition so so say we've because we've got sport relief coming up soon so say you've got a new year, a new wave. How does it? How is the challenge built? Like what? what the who? What comes first, and how? Because you've got you might have someone like Joe Brands who you know wouldn't classify herself as an athlete, but then someone like David Williams who actually is a, a very um, natural swimmer. Um, so yeah, take us through that process. I mean, I, generally, what happens? So at the moment, we're in planning for sport relief 2020 as we speak and, and so what i do is i work with with comic relief uh, and the production company uh to design the challenge 
uh, and, and that, I mean, it's an interesting process because what, what you are, is, it's, a, it's a sort of triumvirate of, of, of people. It's the, the BBC are obviously airing that show and who are the major supporter uh, media-wise for Comic Relief. It's Comic Relief to make sure that they're, that they're doing something which fits in with what their ethos is, what, they, what, they're, what they're trying to achieve. And then the production company and what can be done from a production mm. perspective. So you, you, I'm, I'm trying to design and work with them uh, to create a challenge which is deliverable, then what you're trying to do is find the talent. Uh, celebrity is not a term I like, but the talent that w- that can be slotted into that challenge. Uh, and and you know there are lots of so in other words, there's lots of moving parts in the first instance to create the challenge, and then once you've got that, what you've then got to do is take the take the take the talent and actually develop them. To the capacity develop the capacity in them to be able to to deliver on that challenge so it's i mean it's quite it's quite a complex picture particularly given that we generally always select people who are utterly incongruous to the challenge itself um, i like so the it, way you're saying incongruous to the yeah. challenge as, a, yeah. as another way of saying i don't know this i'm reading between the lines here incongruous <laughs> to the challenges i i like that do you do you have like a um uh, like a list to choose from then of of people who said they would be willing to do challenges or is it a case of just looking at it and thinking let's try and approach like let's try and approach these people because they yeah it's got to be so many factors um in terms of timings and everything that, that that makes it really difficult and i suppose there's also that other element there has to be some kind of like dramatic tension as well there has to be this possibility that this person isn't going to do it yeah well the, the, the television the tv word for that is jeopardy right <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is a word that i i love to hate to be honest with you <laughs> but particularly when i i remember the, the, the greatest event was was um, or the greatest example of that was when uh, i took davina mccall and we swam across um lake windermere and to everyone's mind they thought she had died in that crossing uh, and i remember one of the guys from the production company came up to come up to me after and said greg we want the jeopardy but that was just a bit too much jeopardy. <laughs> it was like, well, you can't. There's no grading scale for this, you know. But it is. I, I think you know that's what. But it, what's critical for this is, I think, actually, the, the engagement of the public, who are incredibly generous. You know, uh, the, the, I mean, we've raised over forty million pounds on these projects, and, and for me, actually, that their monetary uh, generosity is outstanding. But actually, it's their generosity of spirit. It, the wonderful thing is, I, I remember on, on, you know, we, we'd be out running. Um, in the middle of the night across the middle of nowhere and you'd turn a corner and all of a sudden there'd be a group of people around a, a burning fire who've been up all night waiting for us to come past to cheer us on. I mean, it's just, it's incredible how great the British are. Uh, at, at, they've taken it to their heart, I think, to some extent. But I think it is, in part, it's the jeopardy which is what draws them in. They like they, my attitude is they like to see celebrities in misery. That's the key. Oh, to oh it. yeah, that's it. That's it. But the thing, as it as it goes on, because there's now there's now kind of an expectation of this, isn't there? There's an mm. expectation there's going to be a challenge. Aren't you kind of like running out of people? I mean, like you've just you, 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 as people are coming up, you just you know there's there's certain there's a certain limit to 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 the amount of people. Yeah, you, know, you like get more people, more famous, more quickly. Yeah, uh, so that we so that we can keep doing this challenge. Because you know, I, I, do you do you sometimes find yourself tailoring challenges based on the fact that you like we have this kind of pool of people or or, or other factors as well? Without, I, no, I, I think I think that the, the, the primary driver of the challenge is actually doing something that's unique. 
Right, and, and that the more you do, that becomes that becomes more and more difficult. Um, and once you've got an idea that is unique, you've then got to think to yourself: Is it deliverable? I mean, is it is it doable? Particularly in the time scale that you've got, you know, because we we come later and later. If you think that that sport relief is now only six months away, uh, the, the question is: can, You know, can you get the training? that's required yeah. to deliver success it's a, it's a, so for me time is always the key issue it's, it's the resource that you can't change you can throw more money at something you can give better equipment at something but you can't you can't change the 24 hours of a day or seven days a week you know so um, so that, that really drives it but i think you know it, in essence it's, it's that which is the, the key to it I, I think what what becomes more and more difficult is that we've had 32 challenges 32 successes and i think actually when celebrities look at it, what they don't want to be is the first one to fail. <laughs> you know, it, it, so the, the more success you have, what, what you get, and, and you get this in elite sport, and you, actually not just elite sport, it's sport in general. So you know, people who, who are who are out doing the the you know the park run on a Saturday morning, it's fear of failure, um, and, and often that fear of failure is the, is one of the biggest hurdles to overcome uh, because nobody wants to fail. Because do you, do you think as well to get, come up with new ideas but also because really it has to we're getting used to the scale of these things is there a pressure on you or do you think it's just just unconsciously they are getting harder i i i think there's a massive pressure on me it's, it's an interesting one i think it, and every every coach in the country will in the world will feel this is that it, what you get is you get two things is that when a challenge is successful all of the adoration and the the exposure and and the focus goes on the athlete. <laughs> so they, they've done an incredible job. They're amazing, et cetera, et cetera. And every coach understands that because that, that, that's what we do. You know, we are backroom staff to some extent. But I think the interesting thing is that w- when you do these challenges uh, that are so so contemporary in the public eye, you know, that they're, they're live streamed across social media, across various websites, on television. And um, what, what you find, what you find is you have to, you, you have to be able to cope with that idea that if something goes wrong, it is entirely my fault. It's never the talent's fault. It's never, never the logistics fault. It's always my fault. And so what, what, and every coach goes through it. What you are balancing is this, is this, is this, is this failure and success balance where when you get success, you are virtually ignored when, when, you, when you get failure when you get failure you're in the eye of the storm of that failure so it, it's, it's a really interesting process i mean i, I love it and, and i think what you have to do and, and i think what all coaches do is that they they understand that and deal with it because if you if you can't deal with it then you're in you're in the wrong place things you should set up you should just take one sabbatical where we suddenly yeah. lose a prince harry or you know <laughs> Davina doesn't reappear and if you think you raise a lot of money when Davina does the swim imagine what would happen if Davina didn't make it I mean we're talking millions of donations <laughs> then you return like oh Greg we've realized how great you are it's all about you from now on That's everyone really yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with you in part <laughs> is, there, is there something uh, unique about training um, uh, talent as you put it is there in, in you know compared with say uh, a normal person who you know doesn't have um you know the the schedule um, and the other commitments and and possibly the ego to to, to go with it and, and the very similar answer to that is no 
and it's a question that people often ask me. And that, and that, you know, what's the difference between you know working with a celeb or working with an Olympic gold medalist? And, and I say there is only one difference, and that is where their skill set lies. So if I work with you know, for example, I look after James Cracknell. Uh, he is his skill set is rowing, uh, and and what he does in a in a boat with Nora in his hand is truly phenomenal. Uh, but it, it, take David Williams. Well, David Williams is the biggest selling children's author in the world yeah um, it, 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 his, his skill set his skill set lies in in writing in acting etc so but and that, a little bit with the ladies as well you've, well, got, mate, to, yeah, mate. you've got to give him some credibility there. <laughs> but, and with James Crackle as well so I mean <laughs> but you know I think it, so to some extent that, that's really the only difference because I think what what people don't see it, it's an interesting one really because I think with sport Invariably, what what you are exposed to is the end product. So you know, we're, we're upcoming is the the World Athletics Championships, and what we're going to see, we'll watch World Athletics Championships from from Doha, uh, and what you're seeing is for some of those athletes is the end product of mm. 12, 16 years of work in order to get to that point. Yeah. And what you haven't seen is you haven't seen the lows, you haven't seen the misery, you haven't seen getting up at 5:30 in the morning in the hooling rain to go out for the, for for a run session. You know. You don't see all that. What you see is the end product. And I think the same is absolutely true for celebrities, is that what you see is you watch them on telly. So you see David Williams on, on Britain's Got Talent, or you see you know, Davina McCall presenting a show. And, and what that is is the end product. You don't see the fact that actually they have gone through exactly the same as elite athletes go through. You know, They know what success tastes like, but they also know what failure tastes like. They know what tenacity is. They know what hard work is. So to some extent, it, 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 which is good for me, is that they've got they've got that mix, mm. they've got that capacity to be able to deliver on this challenge because all it is to them is just another challenge, albeit outside of their skill set, but they see it and they take it on as a challenge. So it, it, it's a, it's a, it is that they're a great group to work with because they know what hard work is and because they know because they're tenacious, uh, which makes a really big difference for me. And in terms of skill set, then, are there particular professional sectors where they're slightly more challenging to train yeah, than others? Like a comedian versus like a comedian. an actor versus yeah, exactly. a singer. Oh, this is going like this. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Um, let me think. Do you know, I, 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 the simple answer to that is no, because it's interesting that, that there's such an eclectic mix. So if you go into, you know, I took so you go into the music industry for example so we went on killy back in 2010 with um or 2009 with um uh cheryl, cheryl. cole yeah. cheryl and gary barlow uh, ronan keating um uh, you know to, frankly they're no different to the comedians like david williams and john bishop and and eddie Izzard. um and, and and then tv present no you know honestly there's no difference really there really is no difference i think to to, to excel in any walk of life, whether that's music, comedy, acting, uh, business, or sport, I think that the, the 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 nature of the individual, the traits that are required, are incredibly similar. Because it's got it's got really difficult now for as, you know in terms of like what the, what the celebs have to do in order to do these challenges. Because I remember like back it back in like the eighties and stuff. Like it, all they had to do was like get in a tub of baked beans or something, and that, <laughs> and that, and that, and that, and that literally could raise money. And now yeah. people have got to like conquer the Amazon, or you know, <laughs> it's been raised to such a ridiculous level now that yeah. they, they you know they really got to try hard, and, and so like the pressure's on them. But 
um, who, if you can name them, who has come to you, or which of all the celebrities you've has come to you in the worst state possible to begin with? Wow. It's gone. Whoa. I've well, in a way, it's the biggest compliment to say yeah, who yeah, the person yeah, sure. is. What's yeah. the biggest journey? Okay, yeah. Who went on the biggest journey? That's what they normally <laughs> yes, do. Yeah. yeah, we've got to use the congruous words. <laughs> you know, make yeah. it sound nice. Well, I'll tell, I'll tell you what. It, it is a great example. There was... I'll I, I tell you who was incredible. Um, uh, well, a couple of people are incredible. I mean, they're all incredible, but a couple of people are incredible. Miranda Hart was just outstanding. Um, it was just outstanding. Um, she she holds a record for me because she we did the what's called the million pound cycle from John the Greats to Land's End uh, mm. as part of a relay, um, and she holds a record for me because she's the first person ever to fall off her bike before she got on it, which I thought. <laughs> Which was a particularly <laughs> impressive feat. Which is uh, kind of what you'd want from her as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's very incongruent with her with her talent. <laughs> yeah. It was like a sketch. It was like it was like a sketch. <laughs> this is on the closed road in Hillingdon. I remember it well. Um, but but that said, I mean, I've got this fantastic video which I often use in in motivational talks where she's climbing out out of Tiverton in Devon, which is a monster hill that comes out of Tiverton. Uh, and this is on the, the final day. So this is on day seven. Uh, and she just, she digs so deep to get to the top of this hill. And it was, it was, uh, I watch it and, and am inspired by it. You know, she did such a great job. Additional to that, I mean, Joe Brand's walk uh, from Hull to Liverpool was truly astronomical. But it is, I think for me, it's the individual, often the individual challenges that really do sort of strike at it. I mean, 43 marathons in 51 days for, for Eddie Izzard. Uh, I mean, David Williams swimming the channel. And then uh, five years later, coming to swim the Thames 20 miles a day. So the, the distance of the English Channel every day for seven consecutive days. I mean, they, they are, I mean, as you say, they are really, really tough challenges. And, and it's inspiring to watch these guys. And, and do you think a few of them come on it thinking that, it's not really comprehending quite how hard it will be or um, potentially thinking that actually because of the way TV is, they probably don't have to do it all. <laughs> you know, that that's a great question because it, it is absolutely true. I, I think what, what you know, what, what, they have absolutely no idea how miserable it is. And, 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 and that's because I, I think, you know, what, you know, for the likes of us, in the sense that you know we we are entrenched in in sport, you know whether it's running or swimming or cycling or triathlon or whatever it is, and and, and we have a, an incredible you know what 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 like what we call physical literacy. We have an understanding of what the physical is. You know we know what it is to push ourselves hard. We we've got an understanding of how physical works. Uh, mm. and, and for many of these guys, they are they're incongruous because they just they they've never been there before uh they they never push themselves physically so it really is an eye-opener to that and and i think add on add on top of that is that that i always say that people always say to me what what these challenges and i say look there is reality television and then there is real television and and these challenges are real television when you see them in misery when you see them really really struggling that is reality and they are not going you know they're not going to be pushed along or or assisted everything is done by them and and that, and that that i think is is an eye opener as well and and have you had anyone then who you've started to train them and you've thought actually we've we've done this wrong we've we've calibrated the challenge too hard 
No is the answer for that. Because <laughs> they will damn well do it if I tell them to do it. <laughs> no, do you know what? No is the answer to that. I mean, and again, you know, that, that comes down to, to my planning. You know, I mean, what, what's crucial in this whole process is that I make sure that what we do is we do it right from the very start. I think we have to be, it, it, it's, it's an interesting one. You know, one of the toughest challenges that, that we have done was swimming the length of the Thames, 20 miles a day for seven consecutive days, was truly brutal. I mean, really, really brutal. But, but I, I run this, this idea, I, I run this thing called an if-then plan. Uh, and, and really that is the idea. I think a lot of people think that you know, there are problems or issues or failures. But I think the bottom line is that, that it's actually about creating a plan that will answer the potential questions that come up. So, you know, we've had elements of many of these challenges. So on, on the Thames, David was really sick. He had uh, DMV, diarrhea and vomiting overnight. But, but we had a plan in place to make sure that we could tackle that. I, I remember one of the most worrying ones was on John Bishop. We did Arc to Arch, where we cycled mm. um, Arc to Triumph to Calais, then rode across the channel. And then we ran from Dover to London, which was 30 miles a day for three consecutive days. And we thought he'd picked up a stress fracture. Um, but again, with a plan in place, we were able to tackle that and keep him moving and move him on. It wasn't a stress fracture, thankfully. Um, so it, it, it is, it, it, for me, I think it, it, I, I, I've never had to stop uh, an, uh, a celeb. Uh, we have always completed. Um, but I think that is fundamentally down to planning. And would you say he did have a stress fracture? Because if you've got a sportsman and you're trying to train them for an event, the reality is they, they love that sport. They've probably got another event afterwards, but with celebrities, they may never do exercise again. So would you be prepared to risk permanent damage to guarantee they finish rather than calling it off? 100% no. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's, a simple, it's a simple one that. I mean, again, my, my job, you know, often it's interesting because some of the celebs ask me, say, well, you know, what, what's your job? I said, look, my job is two things. It's to get you from A to B successfully. Uh, but crucially, it's to do that safely. Uh, and, and I think that, that, that I would, without any shadow of doubt, see it as a, an absolutely unmitigated failure if I was to take a, a celeb and continue to push them beyond their point, their breaking point. Uh, and, and I think that that's, I mean, that's fundamental to any coaching. I think that, that the health of, of your charge is is of paramount importance and uh, and supersedes any uh, any issue around performance it is definitely about their health and um if you're because you've obviously taken a lot of people who have gone massively out of their comfort zone and that's something that as ultra runners we're always trying to we, we tend to try and push ourselves into yeah. faster or longer i mean what advice would you say for people who say we're undertaking a new distance a new race a new challenge What's the best way to to overcome those and kind of structure our training and mentally prepare to to do more than we're used to? I think there's a couple of things to begin with. I think no, number one is understand the challenge. I, I think you have to really understand it. Um, you know, a few years ago I ran the the marathon de Saab, and and I think when you do an event like that, when you're doing ultra, you have got to have a, a good understanding of what the challenge actually is. And 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 the thing with ultra is it's the distance is part of the challenge it's not the only challenge mm. so i think understanding the full scale of the challenge and each determinant of performance so I, I run this thing where we look at determinants of performance what are the factors 
that that are required to be successful. But crucial, crucially on that, what are the potential shortfalls? What what are the potential dangers to you not being the risks, in essence, to you not being successful? So I think understanding the challenge first is absolutely key. And I think the other thing that, that people rarely do, and they, they should do, and that is actually set a target, set a goal. Because I think if, you know, completion over competing is a very big difference when it comes to ultra number one mm-hmm. number two is actually set a time i think people are often they often feel a little bit uncomfortable about setting a time target but by setting a time target what that then does is that then sets your pace and i think that the people who enter into things like ultras without a time target uh, and, and you can dissect it down into into various days. So, you know, for, for, for the Marathon de Sable, mm. for example, I had a, a, a marathon target each day. I knew what the distance was. So I knew what the target time was on individual days. It's not an overall, necessarily an overall time. It's it's a section time. But once you've got that, what you can then do is plan pace. And and by planning pace, you can then deliver to that that goal. And I think that, that, they're the crucial elements. Understand what the challenge is and then set the goals around that challenge. When you had, like, the, the Eddie Izzard event, mm. when, that was, <laughs> when that was, you know, a multi-day rate, uh, run of, yeah. on the scale of which has never been done before, um, I mean, it, you know, a couple of years earlier, you know, people were sort of lauding the fact that... Um, you know, Renoff Fines had done, you know, seven continents in seven days and saying, oh, that's crazy. You know, seven marathons in seven days. That's <laughs> what sort of, what a sort of crazy. And then Eddie Izzard turns up and, and absolutely like smashes it um, with this feat that sort of goes beyond. When, one, how did you come up with that challenge? Um, and because, uh, you know, there, there was a lot of um, uh, jeopardy. Um, not not probably Mm. death or anything but certainly you know is it even you know capable of of doing Mm. like that Um, where where did that where did that one come from specifically in terms of like just the amount of the amount of days scheduled in to do that and 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 the sort of the the epic scale of that well i mean first off what what ran what ran and mike stroud did on seven continents seven marathons on seven continents was impressive for me was more impressive not necessarily because of the seven marathons but because of the logistics mm. to get to, yeah. to do that i mean it, it was it was a, a you know a, 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 it was an exemplar in logistics it really was because it, it, i mean to get down to the if you want to do something on the south pole it takes it, it you know it's four days to get there four days to get back i mean it's eight days before you do anything you know so so logistics on that was what was for, for me was what was truly remarkable add on top of that obviously you'd had triple heart bypass just prior to it as well um which again was a, a challenge i mean I, when it comes to eddie i mean eddie's eddie's course was interesting actually and effectively what we said it i mean as you well know a marathon is 42 kilometers um and so the, the first idea was that eddie came to me and eddie actually proposed that he wanted to do a challenge he said I, what i want to do is run around the uk uh, and I explained to him that is over 5,000 miles. <laughs> <laughs> at, at which point he said, I don't want to run around the UK. <laughs> so, you know, what, 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 effectively what, what I sort of came up with is this idea of 42 times 42. Um, for, for Eddie, he's, his father had worked for BP. And so he'd lived in various places around the UK, including mm. places like Cardiff and Glasgow and, and uh and Belfast, etc. So, w- what we did is we, we looked at a route, uh, and, and in doing that, we just couldn't quite get it to 42. Um, 
and we were a marathon out. But so you know, what's a marathon between friends? Um, so so that that's what made it forty three in fifty one uh, was to get us back to the finish point in London to Trafalgar Square on the final day. Um, but it was you know it, it, again you know much of much of the interesting thing about Eddie's challenge was that time wasn't an issue. So no. we weren't racing it; we were completing yeah. it. And again, that comes back to anybody taking on an ultra is that, that, that complete versus compete are two different entities. Um, but the, 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 the key issue for me around ultra is actually that what you've got to do is keep moving. Uh, and that's the most important thing, because if you keep putting one foot in front of the other, you will get to the finish line. Uh, and so what I worked on really hard with Eddie was around reducing muscle damage. Uh, so, I mean, lots of great images of him in ice baths yeah. uh, immediately following uh, the day's run. Uh, we were, I worked very hard on, on, on muscle maintenance. So things like protein, uh, immediately post-exercise, all those type of things. Um, and we, we worked very, very hard on his feet because I think actually in ultra, uh, one, one of the key issues, one of the key stopping points is going to be around feet because abrasions become open wounds, yeah. become infection mm. sites very, very rapidly. Uh, and so, and, and, you know, at the end of it, he, the greatest success on Eddie, to my mind, was the fact that his fastest marathon was his 43rd marathon. It was his last marathon. Uh, and, and for anybody who's run a marathon, he, he tipped that in, in five hours. And we would have gone sub five, but the, the axle on the filming rickshaw broke. <laughs> so we, we had to stop and wait for him. Otherwise, <laughs> uh, <laughs> otherwise it would have been sub five. You know, and that's, I mean, that, that, that's the remarkable thing. And, and to, to my mind, the, the success of that challenge for me was the fact that I delivered him to the start of the final marathon in in better condition, I would say, uh, but certainly the same condition as he was at the start of the first marathon. And, and to run his fastest marathon at 43rd, that's, that's what I call success. And, and were you having, because I remember watching that and you know, absolutely loving it, but just being completely perplexed by the fact he'd often just, he'd go off wandering for hours, it seems, kind of having ice creams <laughs> and like inviting himself over for tea with somebody he just met rather than having to do another step. And were, were you having to battle against that? Did that become an issue uh, between you and him? Or were you always happy for him to, I guess, set his own path? Well, do you know, do you know what? It, it, it's self-learning. And, and, and I think, you know, that, that exploration is really quite important i think so i, I spoke to him beforehand and, and it was interesting during the training it wasn't solely about distance it was actually about speed uh and and, and for me that's exactly the same as anybody running an ultra is that that you want to be fast or faster not because you want to come higher in the rankings but because the, the sooner you finish the sooner you can rest and recover and have some fun. Uh, the less time you're out there, the less time there is for anything to go wrong. So actually, you know, c- keeping on moving and moving as fast as you can to your pace target is really, really important. So at the beginning, I said to Eddie, I said, look, Eddie, what you want to do is finish the day as soon as you can. You can do everything else you want once you've finished. You know, if you want to meet people, you want to do whatever it is, some more filming, then you can do that when you're finished. And you can do it from the comfort of, of you know, your bedroom or the comfort mm. of a seat. Mm. Um, it took him about a week to understand that. <laughs> and, and in particular, it took him an 11-hour marathon to really grasp that concept. <laughs> Which is an you impressively know. slow time, if you think oh about it. Oh, my God. Tell me about <laughs> it. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, it, as I said to him, the problem is that, you know, in the 11 hours, that means that, that by the time you get back to the hotel, 
Uh, you've got to eat. You've got to get treatment. Um, you've then got to get some sleep. Now, what you've now done is you have now, it, you know, it, it, our target was was not, you know, our target was not incredibly quick, but we were looking at sort of eight hour, seven seven to eight hour marathons. Mm. But that's three, four hours lost. And that's three, four hours of recovery. Uh, and, and I think, you know, sort of a week in, he started to understand that actually it was it was better to finish it and then do what he wanted to do rather than waste time on the road. Because that's the thing, even if... Um even if he finished in seven hours and then waited the three or four hours, the difference was that he was always on his feet when yeah. he was doing those 11 hours. So actually it was far worse than doing the marathon and then messing around because he was, he was constantly, constantly burning the energy really. Yeah. hundred percent. And so if you were to, um, I mean, in, You've, you've mentioned that you have to come up with these ideas that it can be quite hard. I mean, which are the ones that you've not been able to pull off or w- what are the ones you'd really love to do if, if you had a, a wish, a wishing uh, list? Wow. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing, I mean, luckily there's nothing we haven't pulled off. Um, although, you know, the, the demands and, and the near misses have been, you know, have been numerous. Um, I, I think that there, there are so many great adventures out there. Um, that, I mean, there really, really are. People often say to me, I mean, I do an awful lot myself, sort of personally, and, mm. and people often say to me, are you going to do it again? And it's like, why would I do it again? You know, mm. There's so many other great events to do. Um, so I, I think, you know, there's lots, the, lots of things I'd love to do. Um, I, I think that we, a couple of things that we've never done, we've never done anything in the cold with sport relief, climate relief. Uh, so so that, that'll be, that, that would be very, very interesting. Um, we've never really done anything in really excessive heat, um, okay. which I think would be would be interesting. Um, so I, you know, I mean, to be honest, is, is that for health and lot. safety? Do you think? Cause... No, no, not really. Um, I think I, the, the, the crucial thing actually is that sport relief is in February, March. Mm. I mean, don't get me wrong, we've done a lot of stuff in cold. I mean, Greg James pedal to the peaks. Yeah, uh, last year was utterly brutal during the um, beast from the east i mean i didn't you have to change because i remember listening to the radio and then he was doing it then he wasn't and then well we had to stop in scotland so we got you got to the we had one day of cycling left and ben nevis to go um and they the police put a red weather warning out which meant it was danger to life on the roads uh, and it would have been foolhardy nay stupid for us to go <laughs> Uh, so sadly, we had to we had to curtail it by a day and miss the final peak. But then Greg came back a couple of weeks later while I was on another challenge with the one show, uh, came back and finished it. But it was I mean, I remember on the road, it was it was down at minus 10, uh, minus 10 blizzards. Um, very, very difficult conditions. I mean, you know, you talk about health and safety. It was very, very touch and go. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's lot there's lots to be done. Um so you know we're not i'm not running out of ideas as it currently stands <laughs> but, but I, might, I might be running out of celebs because <laughs> i mean who out there who have you wanted that you haven't got or who who do you think you can line up like who'd be a dream person for you do you know i i, 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 I there's a few i think i think interesting enough we've never done an a-list actor um which i think would be interesting um but I think I think probably the, the one person is Robbie Williams. Uh, I think would be really intriguing to work with Robbie. I mean, I, I personally like a challenge. I think Robbie would, would create that challenge. Oh, I think he'd um, challenge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think it'd be amazing. And I think you know there, there are there. Are, I think the music industry is a really interesting industry. 
um, for the guys that I've worked with from the music industry are brilliant. And I've had such a great time. So, you know, guys like Ollie Mers, who, who was just fantastic. Um, but yeah, someone like Robbie Williams, I think would be great. I, I think because of his profile, I think that we would raise, I mean, to, to some extent, what's more important to me is how much money we raise. Um, yeah. but I think with someone like Robbie, we would raise a huge, huge amount of money. Cause I'd love, have to see and I've, I've not seen all of them but I've, I've seen quite a few of them i'd have to see someone who actually their public persona is is false where you know they've got something to, they don't want to actually reveal themselves because that's when it'd be amazing i mean someone like clarkson i'd love to see him being absolutely beasted <laughs> and actually you know what is he like when he's not being racist all the time and just being a you know is, he, is there a nice person someone somewhere underneath there or you yeah, know yeah. um but 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 people along those lines or um even some politicians, I think, or, or people that... <laughs> you want to see Farage up a mountain? <laughs> oh, that would be a treat, wouldn't it? But yeah. you, know, you know what, though? I mean, yeah, we took... I mean, it's, it's a really interesting point. And I think that any of your listeners, you know, if, if, you've done, if you've done any sort of challenge, but particularly when you go long, when you go ultra, is that it does unmask the, the real you. Uh, and and it, it's, it's intriguing. I mean, this year... So, you know, for example, this year we went up um, Kilimanjaro. Uh, uh, Ed Balls, you talk about uh, politicians. Ed Balls, yeah. what a lovely fella! I mean, just such a lovely fella. Uh, and it, it, interesting enough, I think that, that you know you're sort of thinking maybe they'll mask the, a nasty element to their personality. Yeah. I think what we saw with Ed, you know, under pressure, uh, well, really tough. I mean, Achilles a, a tough climb, particularly towards the end up up high. Uh, and, and you know what it unmasked was just the, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Uh, and, and so it, it's, I think it's really interesting because it works in, in lots of different ways is you can really yeah. unmask the, the, the goodness in people. Yeah, but people like someone like Liam Gallagher would be great because he's, yeah. he's he's too cool for school. And no one believes he's actually like that when he's at home. And, you know, he's not always wearing his shades when he does a poo or when he's, you know, when he's <laughs> having a cup of tea. I bet he does. I bet that is exactly what he's like. <laughs> Maybe he does. Maybe yeah. See, so maybe we'll do the whole challenge in a parker with his shades on. <laughs> I mean, maybe. maybe <laughs> That's a cold weather I've met him, so last time I saw him, he didn't have a parker on. But, I mean, it's, <laughs> I don't know. I think it is interesting. I mean, those sort of guys, you know, when you look at that group of people, what's interesting about them is that they are utterly incongruous. You don't look at them and think, oh, they've done a lot of, you know, sport in their life. I mean, you know, those boys have played a bit of football. But, but you know, there's a big difference between doing an ultra marathon and football. Um, and and it, it, I think it, it's, it's, that's what the public engage in. But, you know, it's great to see how these guys actually respond. You know, I mean, people that you think, I mean, you look at David Williams and you think, you know, here's a guy that dresses up as a woman. You know, is he going to be able to swim the English Channel? And that guy is one of the toughest men I've ever met in my life. And I've worked with some of the greatest athletes on this planet. And that guy is tough. You know, it, what, what, what it unmasked, what that challenge unmasked was, was the, the tenacity and drive and, and hardworking uh, spirit that David Williams has got. So it, it, it's, in, it's intriguing. And, and I guess to some extent, that's why I love doing it. And um, can you give us any secrets about what's coming up next? No. Uh... <laughs> I could tell you about that. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, 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 I mean, it'd be the, 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 the podcasters would. I mean, the absolute truth is we haven't we haven't got there yet. I mean, there's there's a number of ideas on the table, some really great ideas, I think. Um, 
and it, it, but it's it, we, we haven't got there yet. So I, I I can honestly tell you I don't know what it's going to be. So we've we've got a few questions from um, from the the Dubai as the listeners. Um, yep. Lorna's got a couple here. The first one is, is, is: Are you finding it now that people recognise you from the challenges? And do you do you get a little bit grated by the fact that they're like, "Oh, tell me about these amazing athletes who <laughs> you've trained up," when actually it's you who's the athlete after all? No, I, I, yes, I, yes. People do recognise me because of, particularly because of, of those challenges, amongst the other stuff that I do. Um, it, does it greatly? No. I mean, you know, to be honest with you, I think you know, I, I as an elite athlete, I, you know, I spent a lot of time on the other side of the fence, as it were. Um, but but since giving up that, I mean, I've now I've, I've worked for the British Olympic Medical Centre. I've looked after some of the greatest athletes on the planet. I I now run a clinic on on Harley Street called the Centre of Health and Human Performance, where I, I now look after some of the greatest athletes. You know, they're the performers, and I think that if if you can't cope with that, uh, then you're in the wrong job. Uh, and so it, it 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 doesn't it doesn't grate me actually. It's it's it, I guess to some extent what's great for me is that all these guys that I've worked with are still very good and close friends of mine and i think that that's that's what i take from it is that that i've done something to transform their lives as well as all the other lives that that, that have been transformed with the money that's raised thanks to the generosity of the british public so so no it doesn't it doesn't grate me it's it's great to be involved and this is one from chris so have you had anyone who at any of the celebrities where you've having dealt with them for a little while thought right i'm gonna make this a little bit harder just to, <laughs> just to see let's see how good you are actually let's see what you got you're a bit cocky and so yeah. we're gonna push you to the limit <laughs> honestly no i mean and i think that's because what do you know what i i i probably have i think you know there's a classic story i tell about david williams and and that was we were we, we did a swimming session in the pool once. We got out and the guy in the change room said to him, oh, David, what are you doing? I saw you swimming. What are you doing? And he, and he looked at me and said, oh, uh, next year I'm going to swim the English Channel. And, and I just looked at him and I thought, oh, dear. I mean, that's a very bad place to be. That's like, that's like you know, entering the MDS and say, yeah, I'm just going to breeze around it. No sweat at all, you know, or, or race to the stones. I'm just going to get Yeah, yeah I, might, I might, you know what? I might even wear my stilettos as I go. <laughs> you know, so the following session, uh, I took him open water in skins, <laughs> and, it was, and I've got a great video of that of that swim. It was brutal, but it, what was interesting in it? We were at um, we were at Dorney, uh, Eaton Dorney, yeah. with the rowing lake. And when we got out, one of the rowers said to him, "Oh, David, what, what are you doing? What are you doing?" And he looked at him and he said, "I am attempting to swim the English Channel." <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, you know what? It's such an important lesson. You know, the, the, it isn't easy. If it was easy, everybody'd be doing it. So I think I, 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 there's one example, but I've probably done that with all of them at some stage is push them, push them beyond where they want to go just to just to remind them about how tough it is going to be. And um, and we've we've got a lot of listeners who uh, to do London Marathon or, or various other events, try and raise money um, along the way. Have you got any advice on how to make their events kind of pep? to stand out capture the imagination so they can raise a little bit more i think crucially is i think it's about creating a narrative um and that sounds very television speak doesn't it but i think Mm. you know create a reason to give is that what we've done now with 32 sport relief and current relief challenges is actually if you take a look at the social media 
uh, around it. There's a guy called Mark Woods who's who was head of social media for Comic Relief, who was just a genius at creating a story. Uh, and, and actually, what it, what the people gave because of the story. Uh, the challenge is one thing, but it's actually the reason to give. And so what I would say, you know, if you are raising money for charity, be, you know, when you go on the Just Giving page and you can put your, you can put your little story in, mm. you know, really think about that because actually people, it does matter to people is that they, they, you know, it might, it might, it might be a first marathon that helps, you know, if it's the first time that you're doing it, um, it, describing why you're doing it what are the reasons what's the central i call central motivator for you to be doing it and and people will give to that and i think the better that you can write that the better that you can present the reasons uh, the more likely our people are to give and i think add on top of that if you do create that good reason if it is very personal then it becomes a fantastic motivator for you to push through those hard times in, in the preparation and particularly you know if it's the london marathon when you get to that when you get to the city and it's it's miserable when you get into the wind tunnel uh, what, what that central motivator will keep you doing is it will keep you moving on so so you know really think about why you're doing it and, and if you do that it will work all round. and and you've mentioned that you've you know you've done mds yourself i mean have you got any big challenges that you've got your eye on to do god well you know, i've just finished um a month ago i did the norseman which is oh, the yeah. extreme triathlon. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that was, it was crazy, actually. I mean, I, 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 I was lucky enough or I worked hard enough um, to get a black, a Norseman black, which is the, the black T-shirt that everybody aspires to. <laughs> um, it's funny what you'll do for a T-shirt, isn't it? You know? um, <laughs> but it was, it was, I mean, it was brutal, utterly brutal, but it was a, a fantastic experience. So, and, and actually, I'm just in the process now of, of, as with all these things, I become a little bit, you know, obsessive about it, but I do love mm. challenging myself. So we're, we're in, in the middle of designing the next challenge, um, which is definitely going to be cold. Um, so we're going snow ice, um, and there's a, there's a couple on the cards which look really brutal. I've, I've, I've sort of taken this idea of, of picking up the toughest so I did the race across America, which is oh, yeah. deemed to be the toughest cycle race on the planet. Yeah. Um, the, the Norseman, the toughest triathlon, MDS, they call it the toughest foot race. These are all open to debate, obviously. Um, so I, I'm looking at a couple of the toughest uh, for next well, year. I mean, to be honest, you've, done, you've got three. You've still got to do the toughest horse race, <laughs> oh, the, toughest, to <laughs> the toughest sword, a sword race. <laughs> The toughest sword fight. Yeah, with real swords. Sword fight, yeah. What's the other one we're missing for the pentathlon? Shooting. The toughest shooting, shooting. yeah. So, I mean, maybe ride a horse across Syria. I mean, that's two in one. (laughs) Yeah, I'll tell you what, I'll get back to you on that one if that's all right. (laughs) Amazing. Well, um, Jody, any other questions you wanted to ask? No, no, I think that's everything. It's brilliant. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, it's really, really interesting and inspirational as well. If if, if people at home want to um, kind of follow what you're doing or to even get in touch themselves about being trained and finding out about what you do, what's, what's the best way for them to do that? So, lots of different ways. I mean, social media, I'm on Twitter at, at, uh, at GP White, White with a Y, W-H-Y-T-E. I'm on uh, Instagram at, at Prof Greg W. Uh, and then but probably the easiest place to go is to my website which is gregwhite.com uh, pretty easy to remember uh, and, and from there you can, there's there's 
a whole host, a, a lot of stuff that we're talking about here, but the science of performance and that sort of stuff. There's lots of blogs and vlogs, uh, lots of information. Uh, and also there's a Q&A section where you can come on and ask me questions. So um, I, I'd, I'd love to hear from people. It's, it's, it's my passion. It's what I do. Well, perfect. Well, thank you so much. It's really amazing. And um, good luck in Syria. i'll I'll give you a shout if i get in (laughs) cheers guys absolute pleasure thanks very much i want to know the the actual secrets he can't tell us all the stories he can't say yeah i yeah i find it very difficult to believe like someone like cheryl cole didn't have like a massive (laughs) like that there's gonna be there's gonna be some like incredible stories that you know that obviously he can't tell but yeah um, but yeah but oh amazing but it's it is insane that they've all done it and you know that no one's actually got injured no one's yeah, you made you made such a good point though, actually, that you that um, people do forget about, and that is the that is the importance of um, of the consistency element. So when people see like these big challenges um, that people are doing, mm. and you know they think they can kind of wing it by you know getting a certain amount of training in, you know, in a in a quick amount of time, and, and, mm. and very quickly get back to it. It's that it's that real challenge of maintaining that consistency to um, remain injury free for such a long period of time. And actually this relates a little bit back to the, like the 5k training that I've been doing with, with, with Callum mm. where, you know, he's been, you know, always on about like consistency, just make sure like you're kind of running every day, running every day, you know, rather than let's leave it till November and then try and smash it. <laughs> <laughs> because you know it's just it's getting out which i think is the really difficult challenge with yeah uh, what was the phrase he kept using uh incongruous uh, uh, <laughs> to the challenge which <laughs> which is an amazing phrase which we're going to absolutely have to adopt oh yeah, um, yeah from now on everything's yeah. congruous because i think that is i think if you work with something like comedians and stuff that's why i was asking the question about comedians that they've got to be harder to work with one because um it's it's not like a, a pop star or something like that who have to move around a lot. There's probably some dancing involved. You know, they've got to kind of yeah. keep fit. Comedians don't tend to be. And comedians must be really annoying when you're trying to be serious. Yeah. And they're just constantly on with the, I mean, that's rich coming from us, constantly <laughs> on with the unfunny quips and, uh, and everything. And also the other thing is, is with a comedian, um, you know, like you're used to seeing them funny, but then you're seeing them at their like most pained and everything. You're seeing a completely different side to them when they're not funny, and you never forget that. Oh, so you, do you think maybe he doesn't find John Bishop funny now? Well, did you watch the I watched the John Bishop one, and uh, the thing is about John Bishop is John Bishop's different, I think, from most because he's such an everyman yeah uh, type of comedian anyway he yeah. feel you know he feels like you you would just know him and and he kind of his background and everything that goes with it is kind of like that so when you saw him like that it it was as you'd expect where someone like Davina Davina is very much uh, uh yeah. you know top of like you know really excited really enthusiastic full of when, energy at all yeah, times yeah. so you're dying in a lake you're like shit <laughs> <laughs> you just don't expect it do you <laughs> yeah completely yeah and um well that that's because the, what we say about injuries what you're saying as well is trying to keep these people fit like we now we we get injured and we know our bodies really well after 12 years we know what our triggers are we know 
when something's a pain and when something's a niggle and when something's a potential really bad injury but it takes so many years to build up that knowledge and experience of your own body and you've you've got people who don't have any of that experience trying something new but also as you say comedians a lot of them they're on the road the whole time so actually it's it's hard for them to get any kind of rhythm but also they're probably boozing and eating terrible food every single day and just living in a different hotel every night yeah, you can tell the success of a comedian's career by how how much bigger they get but you know you can say oh obviously you've got to that stage where you're almost going to be on the comedy road show so you're all you know you're huge because you, you're getting loads of gigs you're obviously you know getting booked out and you know it, you know headline headline times and stuff like that so yeah i think there's certain professions it must be it must be much more difficult to uh to to deal with but the other thing I, that was, i'm really interested about the um eddie Izzard thing as well because you're mm. absolutely right I, I was like i bet you bring up the thing about the ice creams because it was <laughs> it was just wandering around but i love the idea that they didn't put any pressure on him in order to do that and they were like he'll he'll work it out himself <laughs> <laughs> he'll he'll come with it. He let, it took him a week to learn that but i, I can understand why you it's you know a marathon when you do one marathon there are point, points especially if you're not racing for out where it can be very boring and mentally draining. And so for, you know, for someone like Eddie Izzard, who is probably his mind must work at a thousand miles an hour to then just be on a, a miserable verge of a motorway in the rain for four five, six hours, every single day, he, you're going to take every opportunity you can to not do that. Yeah. But, yeah. um, but do you, what's, what's still, because it's interesting that he says that they build the challenge first because some of them like going up Kilimanjaro I mean I you know as as a listener as 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 an ultra runner and I think for most of us our listeners I assume we could all do that tomorrow morning whereas swimming 20 miles a day (laughs) I mean I mean, they, they obviously had David Williams in mind for that specific one. But yeah, but that's the thing. Even John, John Bishop's one is bloody hard, like running, running from from um, the coast to London, Dover to London. That in itself could have been a challenge for a lot of people. Yeah. Especially celebrities where if you add the cycle and the rowing into it, I mean, I'm amazed they've always found people to do them because they're mu- I, I just assumed there would have been some that are way too hard. Um, well, but I think I think this is the thing, isn't it? And I think it works. Like the way that celeb challenges work is the way that um, challenges work for us. So, like when we see other people doing things like the MDS, someone we know doing the MDS, we go, "Oh well, if they could do it, I reckon I could have a bash at that." Yeah, and, then, and, and 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 you do it, and it, then it becomes like a bit of a you know, again, you, you like you you always see the end point in it, don't you? The social media photos, yeah. or whatever, and you you know, they, you don't know about all the unless you're like really good friends with them, and they're telling you constantly how much yeah. training they're doing. But yeah, you see that all over on Facebook, and I think the same thing like with the celebs as well. They see like you know, they they obviously know another celeb, or they think oh yeah, he's he's out of shape, and but he's managed to do it, so. You know, they must have this amazing support network. Like, we should have asked who was the gateway celeb who went once they'd done it. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, I mean, clearly surely, I can do it. Surely it's got to be Eddie. Surely Eddie is the is the gateway because, you know, that challenge, I think, was that challenge was like it was so it, the, re- the, 
the reason the reason why I put that change away is that I um, I talked about this before. Um, that the the thing that got me into running ultras was the book from Mike Stroud, Survival of the Fittest, and he talked about the limits of human endurance, and that's when he talked to yeah, and that's where uh, he mentioned the MDS, um, and you know, and this was one of the things held up as one of the pinnacles of the hardest things you could ever do, um, and but saying that the human body can still do things, and it kind of ended in that that kind of the conclusion, and that was they went him and. Um, uh, uh, what's it called? Ran off fines when it did the seven marathons in seven days, which people said was just crazy. And now that seems like nuts. That seems like yeah. someone's nan can do that. Yeah. yeah. Like just on a whim, you know, just to train. It's just an air miles effort, isn't it? It's the... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It just it seems nothing. And that was that wasn't that long ago. That was, you know, what's it called? 10 years ago or something. And so you think, well, you know, if going from and it was it was literally a couple of years after then Eddie did that. I'm, look, I'm talking to him as though I know him. Eddie Izzard did that thing. And that, that kind of like when everyone went, what the fuck? Like, we, yeah. you can run like that many miles. You can run that many marathons one after the other. And Eddie Izzard can do it. <laughs> yeah, that was the thing, wasn't it? <laughs> if, it was James, if, if it was James Cracknell or someone else, yeah. he'd have been like, it's James Cracknell's doing it. Of course he can do it. But even then, you'd have thought, well, that's still, that's crazy that someone yeah. like James Cracknell, could, you know, that, that must be the feat. But you're like, Eddie Izzard did it. Like, what? Eddie Izzard? The same Eddie is the, the comedian he, who dresses up as a woman. Now you say it like that. Are we sure he did? Like, <laughs> exactly. You're like, you've made what? this up. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It, it, it's it, everyone. It's just it becomes just such a like. Oh yeah, when Eddie uh, did that, like forty million, like uh, was it called the uh, marathon? Forty-eight marathons or whatever. Forty-seven marathons in fifty-one days, and you just kind of. But yep, yeah, that was. That was like unheard of at the time. That was insane. Yeah. That was like yeah. before. That was like cinema before you went to see The Matrix. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Matrix Four is coming out soon, by the way. Oh, well, it's being made soon, by the way. Exciting times. I think I, that's exciting. I, I can't see any way in which that can be good in any way. Why? It's absolutely needed. Why do you still think so? I mean, they've they've solved the Matrix. Matrix doesn't exist anymore. No, no the Matrix. There was a pact, wasn't there? Was there? What? Yeah. Watch the last one. I think I did, but I mean, I mean... both dead. I mean, the main characters are both dead. I mean, that's a that is an issue. That Neo's dead. Yeah. Did not watch the final one. <laughs> How did he sure die? It? What? It was Jesus parable. So he's now in yes. heaven with his dad. <laughs> yeah i don't know if it's where well, it depends where you be but that's that's fundamentally it come on have you not have you not watched matrix I've, I've definitely i've definitely watched it but i think i started tuning out when there was fifty thousand agent smiths <laughs> yeah. all running from like every orifice of every building <laughs> and then I th- yeah i, I can't see, remember you'll see the agent smith brawl in the next one <laughs> <laughs> turns out he was Agent Smith is a metaphor for Jesus. He's no, in our hearts. He's everywhere. He's all around. His love he's is all around. Neo's the metaphor for Jesus. No, me is the, and Agent Smith is a metaphor for um, atheists, possibly. Oh yes, they, atheists, possibly, possibly. Well, but didn't in the end. Yeah. Well, um, good way to uh, segue to the <laughs> end. Of the, I miss way to end. The end. You know, as atheists believe in no afterlife, nothing. At the end of life, we've come to the end of our podcast. 
Possibly, possibly. <laughs> the entire podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to think of other good episodes. So if you've listened to this episode and you really liked it and you haven't listened to many of the other ones before, I'm trying to think which are good episodes. I mean, we've talked about the MDS quite a few times, about 15 hours worth. If someone wanted to find <laughs> more about what that's no, to do with if you didn't get get to know the MDS from every single possible angle from just listening to our podcast, then correctly or correctly. Linking in with that, Anya, fairly recent episode, did the MDS what That is a celebrity challenge I'd like to see. Yeah, we've got a few um, charity episodes as well um, to listen to for the running charity. Uh, actually, that was a was that a double? I think. Uh, that episode wasn't it yeah it was, that's right running charity and then skid row marathon which i think they're doing another round of uh, showing skid row marathon across the world at the moment so um we also did but, an episode on uh raising money for charity which was really early on so i can't remember the exact number would have been in the teens i think and um and we haven't mentioned it for a long time but the a to z of bad boy running oh no we haven't have we Eddie Izzard's mentioned in that, isn't he? He is mentioned in that. So if you if you've listened to all this and you're a new listener and you're wondering why the obsession with Eddie Izzard, <laughs> then um, and you and you're and you're thinking, oh, I might listen to more, some more episodes. It would help you immeasurably if you listen to um, go back and listen to the A to Z episodes. Uh, there's just a small warning. Um, there's three episodes and total runtime is about nine hours. So <laughs> you need to really consider whether it's worth committing. Because yeah. if you don't listen to them, nothing else is going to make sense. If you do listen to them, um, that's nine hours of your time wasted uh, if you then don't listen to it. So you've just got to go all in. But you'll be able to fill in the blanks. Eddie Izzard, blank, blank, if you do. <laughs> <laughs> but we can't say what it is on this episode because uh, it might be a little bit out of whack with what we've been going with so far but um this week i believe we can announce that the bad boy running uh, club is in existence and you can sign up is that right who cares yeah let's announce it anyway <laughs> I've, announced, I've announced it several times <laughs> in fact it might have been up for a week um but in case ali is going to kill us we won't say anything more than that <laughs> yes because <laughs> Yeah, so if you want to join the uh, Bad Boy Running Club, um, uh, go email on to... Email Ali Bailey e- at... <laughs> <laughs> There's only a limited number of people who can get in uh, to the running club, and it's people who show the most amount of fanaticism about <laughs> the running club. And so we want to see uh, all sorts of uh, ways that you can demonstrate that. Um, the merch store is open as well, so if you want uh, BBR T-shirts, vests um uh not buffs anything else um actually by the time you're doing it probably all sold out but it's worth it's worth having a bash if you're (laughs) if you're extra small or small in anything you're pretty good good bet you're going to get some merch because that never sells out (laughs) (laughs) well thanks for listening guys um do tag us into posts in the facebook group if you'd like us to interview anyone specific in the future they can email us at letters at badboyrunning.com yeah and just a little caveat to this just because they run really fast also think would they make a good guest that's just a little (laughs) tiny thing 
would they make a good guest? Just think of that before tagging us in. <laughs> that sounds like you've been angered by something there, Jamie. No, no, I'm not. I'm just saying, like, literally anyone that runs anything just gets tagged into stuff. And I was just like, well, just consider <laughs> if they'd make a good guest as well. Because, I, you know, just tell us, oh, you ran something really quickly. Tell us about it. And, you know, I just, do you know whether they're actually interesting people or not? If not, then don't bother. <laughs> Should have told me this year's a JJ. But <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for listening, guys. We'll be back next week. Bye 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 bye